0: Hey friends, before we get started today, I wanted to stop in and say thank you. Today is the one year anniversary of the launch of the Living Center podcast. I am so grateful for each and every one of you who have joined us over the last year for authentic and real conversations. To celebrate, we are giving away three $100 gift cards to the on-site mercantile. And all you have to do to be entered to win is to help us spread the word about the Living Center podcast. So over the next week, anyone that goes into iTunes and rates or leaves a review will be entered to win one of our three $100 gift cards to the on-site mercantile. Thanks again for joining us, and we are so excited about what is to come. But then I
1: realized
2: that a spiritual, sacred relationship that is with intention to transform us, there has to be the rubs, there has to be the things that get to us. And the truth was, my work was letting go of control and trusting. I've heard, you know, from many teachers, we are wounded in the context of relationship, we are healed in the context of relationship. But you can't really heal the deep, most core issues unless you've got somebody get close enough to actually activate those deep core issues.
1: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Adcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles.
0: And I'm your host, Mackenzie Boe. Hey everyone, we have got a real treat for you today. Best known for her role as Blair Warner on The Facts of Life, today's guest, Lisa Wetchell, is a pure delight. Whether you know Lisa because of The Facts of Life, or maybe you watched her on Survivor, maybe you've read one of her books, maybe you've watched a Hallmark movie with her in it, uh, or maybe you know her now as a sought-after life coach. Either way, I know you're going to love this conversation. Lindsay and I chatted with Lisa at the end of last year and got into a really awesome conversation about the art of letting go. Letting go in parenting, letting go in our careers, letting go in relationships, and for Lisa, especially letting go in our spiritual journeys. Lisa shares a lot in this conversation about her personal journey with faith and how exploration, curiosity, and letting go led her to releasing the strict beliefs that kept her disconnected from herself and her most important relationships. Throughout this episode, Lisa shares a lot about her journey from a spiritual perspective as a Christian, and I think we can all learn from her story. As a reminder, OnSite is faith-inclusive, and we welcome and celebrate all belief systems and worldviews. I know that this episode has something for
1: absolutely everyone, and I can't wait for you to get to know Lisa a little bit more. So fun to have Lisa with us today. I met first met Lisa Gosh, probably a decade ago, I had watched Facts of Life growing up. And so meeting you was just both starstruck and sh- struck by how like normal and real you are. Um, and so, so fun to continue to get to know you and be friends with you and talk to you today.
2: Yeah, yeah, it has been really nice to uh, just continue that uh, relationship. Once I moved to California, and to see you grow in so many ways.
0: Yes, definitely
1: growing these days. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is officially
0: the last interview I have been stacking them with Lindsay, but this is the last one before she welcomes Baby Bean and is off for
1: about three months, and we get to have her
0: back after that. But we're so
1: excited. Yeah, well,
2: I'm so glad I slipped in under the wire.
1: I haven't picked an official name, so we've I've been calling him Little Bean and Baby Bean, and so... Poor, poor kid's gonna get stuck with that regardless. You know it.
2: You know it. <laughs> I love it. Lisa,
1: how many children do you have?
2: I have three kids. They are 29, 30, and 31. And I had them in 90, 91, and 92. So back to back to oh, back. Wow. Which means I had wow. three kids in diapers and three toddlers and three I homeschooled them. This homeschooled them. So three grades and then three teenagers. Yeah. Three, and then braces, three oh, in cars, golly. three in college, and uh, and then bam, 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 they flew the nest, and now they are delightful adult friends, and one of them's given me a couple of grandbabies.
1: So fun.
2: And love that. And the, the, all three of them have given me three
0: more wonderful children. Oh, I love that. I think that's such an interesting transition. I think we've been talking before we started recording of... You were saying uh, teenage hormones help the like emptiness stage and that transition from parent to friend. What does that look like? That feels wild to me. Yeah.
2: You know, it really requires a lot of intentionality to to change and let go. Uh, actually, it, it's not unlike uh, the very first book I wrote was called Creative Correction, and it was a book for parents of kind of a child rearing book for parents of elementary school kids. My kids were 9, 10, and 11. I wrote the book because my oldest son had ADD, and none of the typical, the traditional child-rearing methods were working with him. They just made things worse. And so mm-hmm. I just had to get creative. So I came up with, uh, you know, hundreds of different ways to, you know, to parent other than go to your room, you know. But then when my kids became, the hormones showed up, none of that was working either. And it was really hard to let go of, well, I'm the parent and I say so. Or, you know, well, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. If you do this, this will happen. You know, all of those things, none of that worked. And uh, especially with the first kid, I think you learn the hard way. And it's what I needed to realize, oh, you know what? I, I, I can't just keep on treating him like he's a mm. kid. And I think the same is true when they when approaching Empty Nest. At that point, It's another layer of, okay, I've put as much as I can into them. Now it's, they've got to learn, life is going to be their mother. (laughs)
1: Life
2: is going to be their teacher and I have to stand back and sometimes that means you know, watch them make what I would consider mistakes and learn the hard way. But what it has done is once I have really let go, uh, it's really opened up just such freedom for friendship and, and, and awe of who they are and watching them become. But I couldn't do that if I hadn't really been able to realize different seasons require different ways of being with our kids.
1: Yeah, for sure. I When I was reading more about you right before this. I remember that you had been on the Mickey Mouse Club. So you were sort of recruited into this Hollywood life from Texas at 12. Is that right? That's right. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. And so it just made me curious about, and then listening to you talk about your son, just made me curious about what what were you like as a kid? (laughs) And then how was that shaped by being sort of pulled into this celebrity culture Mhm. Well, those are very very linked. And that
2: I was a rule follower, a goody two shoes. I was afraid of my own shadow. I didn't want to do anything wrong, say anything wrong, think anything wrong. And I was already kind of that way even before I became a Christian. And I became a Christian at 10. And then that just added a whole nother layer of now God is telling me who I need to be, how I need to be, what I need to think. So I really in some ways, let go of who I authentically was because I was, I believed it was Mm. bad and wrong. So I really needed Mm. to perform and behave in a way, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, that, uh, you know, that meant I needed to act like Jesus. Well, acting like Jesus at the expense of being like Lisa I really lost myself, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm grateful for the foundation of my relationship with with Jesus. But it can be, again, there's different seasons. We have to to grow. We have to let go of ways that worked really, really well for us for a season. And I would not have been able to get through being a child star or being a celebrity or all the money and the freedom that came with that, the, the fame. I couldn't have handled that that without the very, very strict boundaries of God's word. Mm-hmm. But when I grew, you know, as I began to grow up a bit, that that really just made me have to live smaller and smaller and less authentic in order to remain, you know, the, the good girl that never got in trouble that lived and played it really safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, so much of that resonates of just... I, the, the fear of sort of acting out. I remember I was I was that kid. I grew up in uh, the Christian church as well. And so I, w- I remember anytime there was like any opportunity to like pray that you could secure your salvation, I was praying it. I just had so much fear that was driving my behavior and um, definitely had as I got older to reconcile like, who am I and what do I believe? And who is God? You know, is he yeah. this person that I should be so afraid of? Right. Yeah. And fear really does keep us safe,
2: mm-hmm. but it it's not compatible with freedom or really living fully.
0: Yeah. I wow. That's good. I was thinking um, we were doing an interview earlier today, and the person said, "What helped you survive doesn't always help you um, survive. At some point, it often stops working. If we're not growing and letting go and." Um, leaning into growth and so I think even in that element I loved how you honored like hey this kept me safe it kept me grounded in a in a situation that could have been really chaotic I think if you think of other people um, who have had a similar trajectory as you they've not ended up in the same place or in the same amount of safety and so I I do think I love how you honored that but then also saying I had to let go and figure out who was I not at the expense of this yeah,
2: and the the difficult thing about that is the transitions are always messy. The transitions are scary, they're messy. Uh we mess up, we make mistakes, we we learn the hard way and if we don't really have a really deep belief that we can trust our heart and trust God and trust his love, then we're not going to be able to to make that leap to the next to you know, to the next season, the next way of being.
1: Yeah. So what sort of catalyzed your journey, you know, where you started to realize that you were living more out of fear than out of freedom?
2: Yeah, man, so many things that kind of all hit at once. Um, Actually, Richard Rohr was my gateway drug.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For so many of us. I was going to say so many of us (laughs) and so many people on this podcast, they're like, well, Richard Rohr. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. So Mike Hyatt gave, uh, recommended the book, Everything Belongs. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading, I think in the first chapter, he says something about evolution. It was like, oh, I shouldn't be reading this book. What? And so it was like really dangerous to be reading <laughs> such a book. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just kind of go on because Mike recommended this and I trust him. But I had never, it had never crossed my mind that everything belongs no right. you have to be good you have to be right you have to be kind pure you know all of those things there is it's it, it it doesn't belong and and it hadn't belonged in my life i had learned how to repress and cut off and perform and act and do all kinds of things to deny that those were parts of me and then of course it as pretty much everything goes with me i learned it in my head first And then, unfortunately, then I have to actually experience it for it to actually become uh, my being rather than just my knowing or or my knowing in my in a being way. But I was on Survivor. And when and I really do think the reason I wanted to be on Survivor was there was a subconscious part of me that wanted to allow to accept to uh, make space for everything within me that everything belonged. Mm. So in this game of survivor, I had permission to betray, to lie <laughs> to, you know, want money over relationships, you know, to just do all the bad stuff that is in every one of us, but I really didn't even think it was in me mm. cuz I had, you know, so cut off from it and had done, and had done a really good job of by the act of my will doing the right thing. Now I lived from my mind and my will. So all I had to do was know what to do is right and then do it. And that's much easier when you're disconnected from your body and your heart, mm-hmm. which I've yeah. learned to do a long time ago. I'm not, I'm not gonna, my body's gonna get me in trouble. My, my heart's going to get me in trouble. So I'm going to just totally disconnect from them. So I was able to live a very, very successful Christian life. On Survivor, I had the f- just the full permission to be human. I didn't realize you know, how hard that was going to be to allow myself to accept those things about myself to actually really act on them. But it really was probably the greatest prize that I got from survivor was the acknowledgement that I am all of those things. Mm. And that's what makes me human. And that's ultimately what enables going to enable me to be intimate with somebody else. Because otherwise. You know, I'm just Teflon. I'm pretty shiny, but no, nothing's gonna connect. Uh, mm. I need to be more like Velcro. You know, kind of loopy and full of holes and collecting a bunch of dirt along the way, <laughs> but that's actually able to connect.
1: Yeah, you did pretty good on Survivor too.
2: I, I did. I, I, uh, I made it all the way to the final three and, and tied for second. But man, it was, I do not recommend it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't even watch it because it gives me too much anxiety. I cannot imagine trying to live it. So, yeah. Really brave. Very brave. The reason
2: I became an actress in the first place is because I was so painfully, paralyzingly shy and my second grade teacher said to my mom, "Hey, you not need to help her out a bit with the social skills because mm. even at playground, she just takes a book out under the, the uh, under a tree and reads. Mm. And so maybe find some way to help her get out of herself." So my mom signed me up for a few classes, and one of them was an acting class. And I, you know, and that was a way that I could express emotions hiding behind a role. But at least it gave me a, a, an outlet, kind of like Survivor, mm-hmm. to try on being a brat, try on being really angry, try on being just nasty. And of course, I loved those yeah. roles because, you know, they were a way to express myself, the parts of myself that I was not even going to admit. But then when I, um, when I became a Christian, even though I was really shy, that was in April of my fifth grade year. In August of my sixth grade year, the teacher had everybody get up and tell what they had done over the summer vacation. Mm -hmm. And I got up in front of the class and told them I had become a Christian. And if there was anybody who did not know Jesus as their personal savior, I would meet them on the playground and pray with them. (laughs) And that was because I just signed on that my life was to proselytize and get the whole world saved. And uh, that was, you know, kind of when I went to California, that was what I was going to do. And that was my that was my priority. And wow, way too much pressure (laughs)
0: <laughs> to, yeah. to, to save that's the That's a lot of pressure for a little girl. Like, what, 10, 11? That's
1: wild. Yeah. I, I just was curious like that. It's so funny to think of a little girl that's that certain and that bold and that takes a lot of gumption, you know? And uh, even though your ideas about God have shifted, like, do you still see that kind of gumption show up in, the, in that little girl today and how you show up? I do. I do see the gumption,
2: but I'm also seeing how the gumption works against me actually being who I am in relationship with myself, with God and with others, because the gumption is pushing What I feel like is my agenda, no matter Mm. even if it is a godly agenda, it is it is pushing rather than trusting it is moving. It is willfulness rather than willingness. And as I'm learning that the deeper connection with God is about letting go and surrendering and slowing down and allowing and softening and relaxing and trusting and all those things that I spent the first half of my life being
0: too afraid to allow. Yeah, that's really good. Um, You've used that phrase, letting go, a couple different times in a couple different contexts. And so I wonder how that relates to your emotional and mental health journey. Um, I would make up that there are a lot of connections there, but what does that look like? We always say at OnSite to trust the process. Um, and so what does that look like for you in your mental health and your emotional health?
2: Yeah, it has been a really, really, really slow road for me because, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had many guests that have said the same thing, that our defense mechanisms were really wise when we were kids and they did keep us safe and they did work and we probably wouldn't have survived we probably would have been overwhelmed and and in some way whether it's physically emotionally mentally we would have been uh really traumatized beyond uh, the ability to function in the world if we hadn't come up with these strategies so to let go of them feels like death mm, yeah Because Mm -hmm. when you're little and you're defending against something that's overwhelming, it feels like it will kill you if you don't stop it in some way. Now, that can be peacemaking, that can be being a bully, Mm. that can be anger, that can be acquiescing, it can be, you know, just being invisible, any number of ways, but this, but you know, the desired result is the same, which is to not die <laughs> in whatever way that it feels like. So to let go of those defense mechanism, you have to, you know, really do have to encounter this fear of death. Mm. And it's, you know, I I'm, I tell my, my I'm a, co- a, a life coach now, and I tell my clients all the time that, you know, really have to honor the the honor the slowness and the pace of the process and not override it. Because especially if somebody who has used kind of just powering through all their life, just I'm going to just be, have the gumption or whatever uh, to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish, then their tendency is going to be to re-traumatize themselves by just not listening to when it's time to mm. stop, when it's time to take care and be gentle. Uh, there's a phrase, a beautiful phrase that you know, to really only go as fast as the slowest part of us is able to go. And that's, um, beautiful. that's hard to to really listen to because we want to accomplish and get there. We want to heal. We want to grow. We want to transform. And we apply the same w- things that worked to building our ego, to allowing our le- ego to disintegrate. And that actually doesn't mm. work.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I'd love to hear more about your life coaching. What got you into that? And what do most people like go to a life coach for? Yeah.
2: Well, what got me into it is uh, I left show business behind to be a stay-at-home wife and mother, homeschooled the kids, loved it. I started writing books, but I didn't really plan on that. That just kind of happened. Then after my kids grew up in the empty nest, uh, you know, the empty nest, I thought, well, okay, now what am I going to do? Wow. and yeah. And so I thought, well, I mean, I I know how to act. So I I got back into acting. I did Survivor. I did a couple of Hallmark movies, a couple of Tyler Tyler Perry movies, some other things. But then it just got to the point where I just did not enjoy Mm. it. And uh, it really came to a head when the president of Hallmark where I had done three movies for them. They had all been very successful, but they didn't hire me again. And finally my my manager was like, hey, this doesn't make sense. What's going on? Her movies are successful. I'm getting great ratings. Why aren't you going to hire? And they said, well, we really want uh, leading ladies who are younger and fitter. And it was just like, you know what? I, I yeah. am too old for this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to, this is not yeah. how I want to spend the rest of my life eating, you know, granola bars and exercising two hours a day and still having a middle-aged woman's body because it's only, that's all, I mean, that's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, you yeah. know. And so I thought, okay, well now what am I going to do? And I was talking to a friend that I'd been a friend for a really long time. And she was saying, well, you know, they say, uh, follow your bliss. What do you love? And I said, well, you know, I love what we're doing right now. I love deep, conversations. I love to really mm-hmm. get into underneath the hood of a, of, of a person, of a friend, and and find out what's what's working, what's not. Why isn't it? Why? How did you pick up this uh, in the first mm-hmm. place? And I love asking open-ended questions. That's always been something that just came very naturally to me. And so she said, well, it sounds like a life coach. Well, I had kind of just dis- dismiss life coaching, I always thought, I thought, well, man, if I had gone to college and not worked, I would have loved to have been a therapist. Mm. So it really never crossed my mind. Oh, I guess I could, I guess it's kind of similar. I could do the same thing. So I looked it up and I went to a, a year long certification process and, and, you know, did the, did the learning, but I didn't have to have the degree and, uh, fell in love with it and have just really found what flows really naturally from me. And strangely enough, even though I've written books and I've acted and I've spoken and I've, you know, recorded albums, this is the most creative work I've ever done. It really, I love that. It, 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 I have to stay and dance in the moment. Mm. I, I can't be thinking ahead. What do they need? What should we they be doing? Because uh, as ai am a co-active life coach just, uh, trained. And so the premise being that the answers are within the client. Yeah. And so I'm not to be giving them my advice or, you know, consult. I'm not a consultant. I'm not a business coach. I'm more of a transformational coach. And that my job is to, help them be able to learn how to recognize, trust, and follow their own inner coach. And so that really requires just not having an agenda, not being in my head, but really being present in the moment, following however it wants to unfold, because the answers are within each client. And uh, typically they're coming because they're trying to find their purpose or they're in a transition or they're just feeling like, is this what life is all about? And uh, it, I think people, however it works, they have they find the coach that they need. Mm. And so I don't think it's, it's not something I advertise, but I would say all of my clients that they can come for a multitude of reasons, but we all end up with learning how to stay present with our emotions, stay in our body, trust that we can be honest with ourselves and with others and then just actually be honest about who you are and trust that that is good enough.
1: Mm. That's cool. Such important work. I loved hearing you say that it was the most creative work that you've done. And even the discipline of having to stay in the moment so that you can truly guide people is just so cool. What I know with, um, you know, we're rounding out year two of this pandemic that has been excruciating for so many people. What trends are you seeing just with people? There's so many people leaving their jobs right now. They're calling it the great migration. It, it just there's so many different things The the world just feels like it's an upheaval constantly right now. Yeah. So how, mm-hmm. how are the people that you're talking to? And what trends are you seeing?
2: Well, I'm seeing that um, the, the coaching sessions are going much, much deeper. And um, people ask me what's the difference between a life coach and a therapist. And, and just the oversimplification is that therapy is really let's look, look in your past to yep. see what is, uh, needs to be healed so that you can move forward. And a life coach is typically let's start where you are right now and get you where you want to go tomorrow. But inevitably, in trying to move forward, we're going to hit roadblocks and we're going to get stuck. We're not going to be able to achieve the desires and longings. And those are going to be tied to wounds of the past. And so we then kind of go backwards to look at those, to feel those, to acknowledge those in order to uh, kind of clear the way so that if you can be in the flow, the flow is not going to hit up you know, a dam or, a you know, mm. a big r- rock, but it, the, you're going to be able to disintegrate that so that you can stay in the flow and move forward because it is in the flow that we're going to find out what our purpose is. It's not going to be uh, in our head, even though we, we kind of want it yeah. to be, be that way. So I'm finding that the pandemic has just brought Things to the surface that we can typically outrun, stay busy, get distracted, you know, read, uh, drink, whatever it is to keep keep us from uh, feeling the things that we've spent a lifetime trying to not feel and to outrun. And so, um, I'm just I'm just seeing that they come to me to go forward with purpose and passion. And we hit very quickly what's stopping them, which is typically from the past, and then we just go deeper, and uh, that's where all the all the you know greatest gems are are in the dark. Mm.
0: I would make up that you were talking about being present and being able to connect back in with that inner knowing and the guide and the coach within yourself. Um, and I have heard like we can only what we say it on site is we can only take someone as far as we've taken ourselves. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about how you reconnected back with your heart and your body and how you then do that for your clients. Because I thought when you mentioned that you spent a lifetime being separated, I thought that's work that you have to be connected to your heart and body to do. Yeah, well, I was
2: fortunate enough to actually be able to be very, very intentional about that. And I mean, I guess it kind of goes back to your question, Lindsay, about my own gumption in that. Uh, I had gone through a divorce in, uh, 2011, we did Survivor 2012, like within days of the divorce, Whoa, wow. I was on the Island that just, and, <laughs> so that mile. broke me open. And the reason I wanted to be on Survivor, uh, too, was because I had, um, I had read a book by Irwin McManus called the barbarian mm-hmm. effect. And it was all about really just living, uh, undefended and in your body and not so much in your head and. I felt a calling to that, but there was no way I could do that. And so I, I met him for lunch and I said, well, this is very attractive to me, but I have no idea how to t- switch from being in my head and in my will to being in my body and in my heart. And he says, well, you can't purpose to mm. do that. Put yourself in situations where you're not in control and that will unwind and undo and deconstruct uh, what you what you have constructed. Mm. So I uh, I've signed up for Survivor, and man, that was a a wrecking ball to my defended structure. And then from there, I I did a vision quest. And that was another kind of just, okay, another layer coming undone. And then I did uh, this workshop, a, a week-long workshop with Russ Hudson on the Enneagram. And it just so happened that I met someone there who was a therapist and an Enneagram teacher. And we started dating. And that was really fun. But then when we broke up, I ha- it was the first time I had broken up being undefended Mm. so having even got it getting married and going through divorce i was so fortressed that i was able to kind of just you know willfully get Mm. through it i without it just just you know coming undone but this breakup which i hadn't even been we didn't even dated that long and so i was sitting on the couch after this breakup noticing that i kept at some point i noticed wait a minute I've gone to the fridge to get some ice cream. I've gone to get a bottle of wine. I've gone to uh, get a book. I've gone to, you know, call it. Fr- i just like, what am I trying to not feel? Yeah. So why don't I just stay here on the couch for a minute and see if I can not run away from this? and i began to open up to it and man it felt like i was going to be pulled under by a rip tide so i had to keep coming up for air but then i would breathe and i would be able to tolerate all mm. of that emotion for just i'm talking seconds not minutes just seconds and then pop back up and then but what i realized was oh wait a minute i actually opened to all of this that i've been trying to outrun and it didn't Kill me. It didn't overwhelm me. It didn't consume me. And I don't, there's a lot in there, and I have no idea what's Mm. in there, but I want to find out. So I set up a year long intentional journey. I went the following July, I did a 30 day silent retreat at. Wow. um, at an Ignatius, uh, a kind of a, a spiritual examined retreat center, where I didn't talk for 30 days, but we were given the assignment at every morning to pray through different. Uh, parts of the gospel with an active imagination. So have conversations with all the players in the story to have a conversation, but then more importantly, listen to what the person in the story would say. I decided when I went on that, I was going to throw out everything I'd ever been taught about God, Jesus, the Bible, start clean. And just anything that God wanted to put back on my plate great, but I wasn't going to assume that he did. So I really took nature as my Bible. It's like, okay, well, the Bible really isn't that old and it really is, you know, through the hands of man, but nature, that's a pretty direct kind of expression of God. So I I paid a lot of attention to listening and and observing nature. Then after that 30 days, two weeks later, I went to Peru and I did four ayahuasca journey, uh, journey ceremonies with the shaman. Four, four, yes, over a four. week's time, it blew me open. I don't recommend it. Uh, there were nineteen of us. Seventeen had wonderful experiences. Two of us didn't. One of them left after one ceremony, but I stayed. Uh, but it was a bit harsh. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was like putting a bomb through my, dis- my structures rather than letting them, you know, kind of un- just let- letting them disintegrate. So you
0: were, you were one of the two who did not have a good experience. Okay. Exactly.
2: Exactly. I had a very, very difficult experience, but of course it is because I was going down to meet my demons and I met them, you know, yeah. I met all my stuff. And it was, there's a reason why I was defended against it. There was a reason why I had those structures around it. Because they they were overwhelming and they were scary. And then after that, uh, two weeks later, I went and I walked the Camino de Santiago, which is the 500-mile journey from France to Spain. And that was uh, intentional to Kind of walk out, whatever it was that I was learning was on the inside. I met another man on the journey, another therapist. I do have a type. <laughs> uh, I'm married to a psychologist now. So, yes, I do have a type. And then we broke up. And then that's when all I realized, oh, I got abandonment issues Mm. and that's when I signed up and I went to Milestones Mm. and I spent a month at Milestones because I saw, oh, there's some pretty deep, deep abandonment issues here. And uh, after Milestones, I did a week on onsite. So I was fortunate to actually set my, I had the time, I had the resources, I had the gumption to just go real deep in a short amount of time with purpose to find out what is really underneath this
0: enneagram 3 performance gotcha. mm. i love that uh, thank you for sharing all that with us. Gumption is the word. That's a perfect word, an encapsulation <laughs> of gumption, because I think. You definitely didn't do that halfway. No, you did not. <laughs> no, I and I make up that you don't do anything halfway <laughs> no. as an Enneagram 3 and as the person that you are. But yeah, it wasn't like you said, okay, I want to like dabble in this. I think we talk about there are people who, who go into this kind of work. And there's different ways to get in the pool, right? Like you can dip in your toe, you can watch from the sidelines, you can suntan and maybe just splash yourself, or you can get on the high dive and jump off. And that's what I think you did. Cannonball. Yeah. (laughs) Cannonball
1: indeed. Wow. That's insane. I want to hear more about all of those. Are you going to write a book on that, on that journey? I I am. I, um,
2: as I mentioned, I did the 30 day silent retreat, which I didn't talk, but I did write 92,000 words. So, you know, it wasn't like my mind was that still, but you know, I got it. baby steps. Um, and then, so, and I have, I've written all about the ayahuasca journeys completely. And, and there was a lot that, that brought up that, um, and it was a lot that happened and I started writing about the Camino and then I, 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 met my husband and I put the book aside and, uh, then the pandemic happened, but, uh, actually I am planning to finish it, uh, beginning in, in February. And, uh, the, the tentative qu- uh, title is, uh, questions with the word quest all in mm. caps, finding answers on a journey within.
1: Yeah, I just it's so many of us won't have the time or the gumption to do all those yeah. things, but to be able to learn from you and your journey and hear the details. And that sounds just enchanting. So I'm, I'm looking forward well, to that.
2: I hope so. And I'm going to write it just as my story. My, my coaching practice is called Contigo, which means with you. Mm. And that's, you know what? I, I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to be with you and trust that you have the answers and help you trust that you have all the answers. And I'll write the book the same way. I'm not going to try to teach anything. I'm just going to let invite people to come. Come with me along my journey and see what resonates and what they identify. And if they pick up something, a nugget, then that resonates, then that's really simply anything that resonates is saying something that we've already Mm -hmm. known. It's Mm -hmm. just sometimes helps to have somebody else put words to it.
0: I love that. You're um, on a daily basis helping your clients kind of like actualize their future and chase after that and figure out how to get there. Um, And you've shared that you're writing a book. But what are what else is Lisa going after in this season? I feel like there's a lot of richness of where you have been, but where are you going? That's a
2: great question. You know, I have my own therapist, my own teacher, and I meet with weekly. And I actually just last week was saying that It wasn't until after all that year, 2016, Mm -hmm. that I dared to say out loud, and this was scary, to to admit it. Richard Rohr says you got to go deep in at least one thing to actually connect to the depths Mm. and not just dig these little shallow holes. And I've always believed that an intimate relationship could be a spiritual path. And I wanted that and I said it out loud. And then and it was shortly after in two thousand seventeen, I moved to Nashville, I met my husband and Miles um, set you up, isn't that right? And Miles set That's us awesome. up. I love that part of the story. Yes. Part of what my hesitation, when you know, trying to decide about whether I married or got married or not, was because of course there were issues, and I knew you're a fool to think those issues are really ever going to go away. So the question was, could I live with, you know, of course it was his issues. I wasn't thinking about my (laughs) issues, but could I live with his? Until I realized, wait a minute. His issues, and I'm going to just say this. He ha- has ADD. He has ADH, uh, ADD. Yeah, the H is what they call it, but he doesn't have the hyperactive. He has the distra- distracted. I like to cross every T and dot every I and stay on top of things. I'm very responsible. And I realize now I'm that way because my childhood life was more chaotic. Yeah. And so when, he's, when he was not dependable, I would be afraid and angry and think I can't live with somebody I can't depend mm. on. But then I realized that a spiritual sacred relationship that is with intention to transform us, there has to be the, the the rubs. There has to be the things that get to us. And the truth was my work was letting go of control and trusting that I didn't have to take care of myself. And the truth is, I my husband doesn't have to take care of me, that I have to at some point believe that an invisible arms are holding me in the middle of what feels like chaos. And so I get to practice daily with him, not putting the pressure on him to be responsible or, or take care of me, but... And then also not put that on me, but relax into letting go and trusting. And so that really is what's going on in my life right now. Some really, really deep transformational healing. I've I, I heard, you know, from many teachers, mm-hmm. we are we are wounded in the context of relationship. We are healed in the context of relationship, but you can't really heal the deep, most core issues unless you've got somebody get close enough to actually activate those deep core issues. Mm. And I think marriage is a great place for that activation to happen. And if you can realize, my husband always says, I don't know if you have to bleep this out. You know, he says, this is what getting better looks like. He says, conflict is growth trying to happen. And he says, let's turn the shit into fertilizer. And (laughs) that's kind of what we're doing.
0: And having a great time and loving it along the way. I love that. That is so funny. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think I love that you shared that we're wounded in community and that we're healed in community because it's so essential to, I think, the truth and what we believe at Onsite. As we're kind of wrapping and landing the plane, is there a practice that you do every day that kind of keeps you centered? You know,
2: for whatever reason... Um, certainly I will say the practice is being vulnerable and honest with my husband about what I'm really feeling. See, I was always in my first marriage. We never fought Mm. my uh, ever. That's because I was never really honest about how I felt I was scared Mm. to. So it's taken me. It's a big practice for me to be angry and to voice it. Yeah, it's a big, big practice for me. Do you have some emotions you feel more comfortable with? Uh, I don't think I feel comfortable with any emotions. (laughs) (laughs) I would prefer not to have them. You know, as the Enneagram 3, you know, uh, emotions are drag on the plane. It's one of the reasons I think Enneagram 3s can be so successful. Because when you don't have emotions pulling you back, you can just, you know, set your course and get there. And so uh, um, all emotions are difficult for me, really. I merely have to be present and practice and vulnerable and brave to feel them. I do think anger is probably the scariest one for me because I'm afraid if I'm angry, I'm going to be out of control and do something wrong, or I'm going to hurt somebody with my anger, which probably is even a bigger deterrent. But you know what? Longing and desire, those are also scary. Joy is scary. So I think, you know, that's why I say all all emotions are scary to me because I'm not in control when I'm actually feeling what I'm feeling. I I'm in control when I'm in my head and can choose how to react. And I'm not saying that, you know, I shouldn't be choosing how to respond or to react, but not bypass my emotions. I got to feel them first and then make that switch. And then also I'll have to say that for whatever reason, My best time of contemplation or meditation is as I'm drifting off to sleep or if I wake up in the night, kind of that hypnagogic state, uh, it is when I am least defended and more relaxed. And so then that's when I'm able to really feel whatever I'm feeling and I stay present and breathe. And sometimes even things like, and it comes back to the whole being honest things come into my mind and I can pause long enough to question, oh, wait a minute. Is that what you believe because you've been taught and you've always believed that? Or is that how you really feel? Mm. I
0: think there's so much I want to ask you about, but I am just so grateful for your time and uh, just leading us through your whole journey and your quest. I think that is a, a great word for it. So thank you for sharing a little bit of your gumption today.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me. I've been very, very, extremely grateful to miles for many reasons, uh, not the least of which, of course, introducing me to my (laughs) husband, but also the time that I had at Milestones and at Onsite and the experiential therapy that I experienced in both of those places, because that's what I needed. I've been in therapy all my life. I've read books all my life. If I could have healed myself I would have done it already. Yeah. <laughs> I have the, yeah. the gumption and the intellect and the, you know, the resources. I would have done it and I couldn't. Mm. I needed help and I needed to experience change, not just know and think about it, uh, about change and what I should be. And so I'm really grateful for, you know, the Living Centered program.
1: Awesome. We're grateful for you. you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.